Hello and welcome. You are here at The Journey. My name is Jill and today is Friday, May 20th, 2016. You are here with me in the center of New Mexico in the center of my tiny trailer talking about big stuff as we travel the journey on Survival Road. Today's going to be a really good one. I've got so much swimming around in my head. I hope I can get it all out. But before we launch into that, which will include a movie today, we're going to do the basics. And that is, you can find this podcast some more at survivalroad.net. You can find just the podcast at SoundCloud under The Journey with Jill, also iTunes, Stitcher, etc. So with that, the question I have for you today is, are you part of the 50%, the 30%, or the probably 15%, and then there's 5% who probably don't fit into any category. And of course, you don't know what that is, but that statistic came about with, um, I believe the lady who came up with that was the person who wrote a book called The Highly Sensitive Person. And, you know, I the the statistic was to support her her discussion on what it meant to be highly sensitive, which really was just meant that you are wired a little bit more tightly than the rest of the world. And it, how you define sensitive isn't like touchy-feely, but more reactive to nature, to stimulus, to response, sort of the adrenaline junkie I was telling you about. But the application to the rest of us is that, you know, 15% was considered the scout, which is the people who want to take the risk, the people who lead and go out and explore and take, who have less fear because they're wired. Remember what he talked about last time, they're wired to be more comfortable with discomfort. Then the 30% are the generals. Those are the people who like to manage and who like to organize and set rules and be the leaders of the pack or the whole group. And this is all sort of based on a tribal role. And then the 50% are the followers. They are the, the grunt force. So in an army, they are the army. They are the people who do the hard work. They're the people who show up and don't ask a lot of questions. And they are the the group that the rest of us are dependent on. And nobody likes to think of themselves as just the participating force. We all want to have a more exciting title as leader or explorer. But I, the, what I want to talk about today is why all of those are such important aspects. And I, in thinking about it, I think it's our division and our need to make the group that we are not part of wrong that's creating all this division and and problems when none of us can exist without the other and that other five percent are people who just don't fit easily into any category and they are probably the most visionary or the most dysfunctional so they probably two and a half percent lead the world in the greatest amount of vision and then 2% who just bring everybody down, you know, that kind of group. So it's a really, it's a question that won't, will make more sense after we conclude our discussion here. But I want to throw that out. So are you part of the 50%, the 30%, or the 15%, or the 5%? And, you know, if you're like me, I always want to be the exception and not the rule. Most of us don't like to think of ourselves as average, but... Now that I have moved into the last half of my life, most of our life is really spent being the, being the rule and not the exception. And even over the course of our life, that exceptional component to our life, the exciting part of our life, it's still going to be a small percentage of 
our entire life. So as much as that formula describes who we are generally as a population, it also talks about who we are as a person because a lot of our life is just showing up and doing the work. It's the grunt work. If you don't wash the dishes or wash your clothes, you won't have anything to wear. You won't have anything to eat off of. You know, if you don't follow the rules at some level, you can't survive. But the problem becomes when we stop looking at the entire percentage and we get focused on well, just this one group is right. And so that is the background that we're going to apply to the discussion that we're having. And so the movie that I wanted to share with you today is called Valley Uprising or Uprising Valley. And I'm going to play the trailer. And what it is, it's about the history, the, starting in about 1955, of people who wanted to climb the mountains in Yosemite Valley. And it was one of those things, I don't know why I decided to watch it. Actually, I do. I was looking for more interesting ways to use the camera. And it was such a good documentary. It's streaming on Netflix. You can also rent it from any of the streaming sources. But And there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that's free. It's the, the reason I got so excited about it, it's a microcosm of what we're talking about here. But it also is completely reflective at a micro level of what ha what's happening at a macro level with the entire globe. And that's sort of one of the things I learned, I don't remember when. When you can understand the underlying principle or idea that is repetitive, then you can see how it's applied to every single situation. Um, when I talk about values versus beliefs. So we get stuck in our belief system and we get stuck on the level of effect. But when you can step back, you can see that the same scenario is playing itself out over and over and over throughout time in a million different variations then you can step away from the specifics or the beliefs about it and you can understand it at a more abstract level instead of getting stuck at the specific level. And when you can do that, that is when you can start to really change things for yourself. So I'm going to play the trailer and then we'll be right back. In the golden state of California, about 200 miles east of San Francisco, lies one of the great scenic wonders of the world, Yosemite National Park. We were living on the fringes of society. A hardcore of really devoted climbers trying to raise the standards, push themselves. We had a purpose. Only through climbing can you find yourself. Bullshit like that. Climbing in those days was not a respectable activity to be doing. It was an outlaw activity. The idea of devoting your life to climbing didn't exist anywhere else. We were going to climb forever, and that was the extent of it. No one has ventured onto walls like this. So huge, you'd be on it the rest of your life. Why in God's green earth do you guys climb mountains? We're insane. <laughs> in Yosemite Valley, climbing went from a fringe activity to a full-blown culture and sport. The next generation had arrived. It was us. Get out of the way. Here we are. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, climbing. Fingers of steel, zero body fat, lots of testosterone. If you fall and you hit the ground and you die. All these years later, that fire is still burning in the heart of the valley. Yeah! 
Pushing the limits and pissing off the status quo. The Rangers just hated the climbers. And so we became the outlaws. No way will they stop the dirt bag. Turn off the camera. No, thank you. They're doing what they got to do to keep climbing, keep storming the castle. It's a fine line between boldness and stupidity. That was pretty good here in Yosemite Valley, baby. Well, the part you can't see is all the really cool footage. So there's so much I want to say about this. But uh, the first part is, is that, you know, there the three groups that are part of this are the 30, 50, uh, 15 I was telling you about. You've got the 15 percent who are the risk takers, the adventurers, the people who see the mountains and they see the potential. And they lived as this fringe group at the base of the mountain called Camp 4. And of course, I can relate to this. They lived in tents. They didn't have jobs. They were dirty. Um, that's where I didn't know. That's where the, the dirtbag lifestyle. There was a Jack uh, Kerouac quote about the ruck style, revolu the rucksack revolution that I could totally appreciate. And they, you know, we it was in 55. And so it was right before the 60s, this first wave of, rev you know, just bucking society and um, and these guys are all older now, and so they're and they're all these businessmen. And but they were the first group that came in and saw Yosemite for the rocks and the potential it was. And so the second group you have is the the enforcers, the generals, the leaders. Those are the people who set up the park system. Those are the people who who enforce the rules at the park. They're the people who created the systems and structure so the park itself could exist. It's a public in a public way and not privately. And then the third group are the tourists and the taxpayers. They're the people who keep the park functioning by keeping it open, by visiting it. And the clash between the three groups was it escalated over time. And just looking at the clash and, you know, the there's one point where the guy says, you know, it used to be park rangers had biology degrees. Now, you know, in the, the 2000s, they're, you know, they, they train in defense and guns and law enforcement and how, you know, the there's just it's really it's very reflective of the control state that's so true in America where it didn't start off that way it was like this is a pretty place to visit and now it's like you know a hardcore battle between the people who want to climb and the people who you know and want to live a risk non-conformist non-rule following society and the enforcers and then there's this other group you know of people who get frustrated with both sides so it, it's just a perfect microcosm of who we are but everybody's mad at each other you know the tourists don't like the uh, risk takers because they're stinky and they're trashy and they're disruptive and they're loud and they're drunk and then you know the park rangers don't like them because they're rule breakers and so there's this you know cat and mouse between you know the outlaw and the lawman you know and and the the more that the lawmen try to control the climbers in today's world, the more creative they get. That's where a lot of base jumping is now happening because <laughs> they figured out all these ways to escape the park rangers and their cell phones and these intricate systems of cat and mouse. And but at the, in the same time, you know, you've got the mass of tourism getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It shrunk 
the ability to visit the park seven days at a time. And these guys and some girls used to live there. And so it's just really interesting. But what really struck me this morning was, you know, everybody's mad at the other group trying to make them wrong when in essence they're all dependent on each other because it's the the rock climbers who started it that made it so attractive to the people who want to come visit and it's the people who visit that keep it functioning and so it's this and you know and the and the management the enforcers and the management they're the group that allow it to function because if you had millions and millions and millions of people visiting it's only one square mile it's a very small area with absolutely no rules to it at all for anyone at any time it would be destroyed and so which is just what's happening in the world and you know the, the while you're watching it if you choose to watch it which i would hope you would is that it who you identify with will really tell you so much about who you are and as you all can probably have guessed who i identify with is the people who are the climbers the people who want to live in the dirt the people who don't want to conform to society but what I was thinking about this morning is that instead of fighting against the groups that we don't like, the shift is really fi finding a way to appreciate the other two because without whatever two parts you are not, you wouldn't have a life that you could explore, that you could become who you were meant to be. I mean, if there weren't a lot of people getting married, having children, having jobs, you wouldn't have the luxury of chasing freedom. Freedom is awesome, but most people who chase freedom still require structure from which they can chase their freedom on. Even in the olden days, right, we have the fantasy about heading out west. They still took flour and sugar. I mean, they still took guns. Somebody had to build the guns. Somebody had to grow the wheat. Somebody had to grow the sugar cane. Somebody had to grow the coffee. Somebody had to package it and distribute it and import it and sell it. And so we, we have this deep need to be somebody but we're dependent on all of us. And, you know, the grown-up place to be is to understand, one, we need to appreciate each of our different roles. And two, we don't have to be one thing for our entire life. And three, we learn the most about ourselves when we bump up against the other two. And so the maturing process is to understand that nobody's wrong. This is just where we are now and what we need. And so it was really interesting, you know, thinking about all that stuff. And it's very visual. It's totally cool. And these guys, there's one woman, Lynn Hill, who is part of the second wave, but it's just stunning what they did. And the really other piece of that that goes back to appreciation is the first people who climbed Half Dome is 2,000 feet and El Capitan is 3,000 feet. And so Half Dome took, the first time they did it, it took a week. El Capitan, the first person who did it, it took almost two years because of the way he did it. And then the second guy did it in a week. And now you, there's this young kid, Alex, I don't remember his last time. He, could, he can climb both of those and a third mountain in one day. And 
And they're doing it without any equipment and any supplies and just without any ropes. It's just, you know, I mean, the transition. But it's all built on the back of the person that came before you. The first guy was Royal Robbins who looked at that mountain. Actually, there was another guy before him who trained him who looked at that wall and said, I think I can climb that, and was very methodical. And he had a rivalry with a second guy, Warren Harding, whose whole philosophy was to just pound in nails and go straight up. And so even within these subgroups, there was all this competition and philosophy and arguing about, you know, the purist versus the technical person versus the do it any way you can person. You know, in the second wave, there was a guy who would get up on the wall and drop acid while he was up there. <laughs> it was just, you know, even so, you know, you have that 15, 30, 15 groups, right? And then within that group is a whole breakdown of subsets. You have the methodical and the analytical, you have the the freewheeler, you have the purist, you have the planner. It it was so interesting because it was such a pure microcosm of who we are as humanity on the globe and how so much of our frustration with each other is with when somebody doesn't live by our belief system with our set of rules when if we can take a step back and we can look at the bigger picture then we can truly just appreciate that we wouldn't have the luxury of our group if the other people weren't doing their part and so I just was really excited about that. So we're going to take another break and be right back. All right. So welcome back. So the second piece I want to put about around that is I want to divide that into the masculine and the feminine as we're going to apply that to the 30, 50, 15. And then I I guess we'll just leave that other 5% as kind of a free for all. And so I was reading an article this morning and it was done in the UK. It it did in England and it did some comparison to America. So it's not reflective of global attitudes. I think it's very reflective of uh, each culture has its own breakdown. But I think globally, we're having this huge issue with what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And what is masculinity and what is femininity? And it's, uh, you know, the headline was that I think it was the 18 to 24-year-old males in the United Kingdom, only 2% rated themselves as highly masculine. And it was on a scale of zero to three. Um, and then the scale was a six-point scale of masculine to feminine. And so it was, and the older, the 65 and older group for both America and the United Kingdom scored the most highly on feeling masculine. And the women were less uh, polarized. There was more of a, a, a middle feminine energy versus you know, feeling not at all or feeling extremely feminine. So, but the reason, you know, that to me, that's so interesting as we apply it to uh, the, that what we were just talking about is that so much, I think so much of our traditional definitions of masculinity and femininity 
play out on our societal or cultural roles. And I think part of what's been happening with that is this complete breakdown of traditional roles. You know, it used to be, or and in some cultures it still is, there was very definitive um, demarcation marks of when you were a man, when you were a woman, the this is what you did to be a man. And, and so you didn't have to think about it because society just, or culture, put that stuff into place for you. And part of this, you know, multiculturalism and, you know, mass immigration that's happened over the last, you know, several hundred years is that, especially in America, because we have such a mishmash that, you know, America in and of itself doesn't have a lot of culture um, that's traditional. So a lot of that stuff got dropped by the wayside. And most people don't really identify with an ethnic or religious culture that has a lot of rules in it that teach us what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And that's where I think media has stepped in and created these really uh, for better or for worse, images or ideas of what masculinity and femininity are, and they're not necessarily reflective of real life. And so we're going to put that against this whole idea of values and beliefs. And, you know, part of this is important because, you know, a lot of what is being created as masculinity and femininity isn't really based on the same type of values that were originally associated with what masculinity and femininity were. And and it it doesn't mean that previous cultures were were ideal. What it means is that it's an evolution and and in the same way that the climbing got built on the backs of people who who did it you know, what was miraculous to even be able to climb the mountain in a week is passe in the sense if you can scoot up that thing in two hours. So it went from taking a week to climb to about two and a half hours, I think, was the last record I saw. And so it isn't about a right or wrong thing. It isn't about are you skilled? It's about who do you want to be within the context of your existence, your culture, your time, and what you can do, because, you know, the other thing that was really reflective of this documentary was how, you know, in the 50s, things were really fast and loose. They didn't really harass the climbers who lived at the base of the mountain. In today's world, it's like super regulated, super enforcement. I mean, it's this huge thing about the the enforcement. I mean, they actually killed a guy chasing him. I mean, it's become out of control in terms of enforcement of rules and regulation and and how you know some of the climbers like one guy who just he just parks and sleeps in his van outside the park because it's more important for him to be able to climb every day than it is to be a rule breaker where there's another guy who it's all about breaking the rules <laughs> and his you know, I'm because I'm laughing as I'm listening to him. I can totally identify. It's like it's all about the freedom. It's all about the push, push, push to be more free, more free, more free. And the more rules they put on him, the more he wants to break them. And so, it's a there. There's always going to be individuals within these subsets, within the subsets of the groups, within the time and the space. So, it's not simple from the perspective that the the details and the effects stay the same. 
What's consistent is what I keep trying to take you back to is who are you going to be and how are you going to express that? And I think in that part of this struggle right now is not just about are you seeking freedom or safety? Are you a rule follower? Are you a, a part of the 50%? Are you part of the 30%? Are you part of the 15%? But but making peace with all of that as we try to figure out how to navigate this particular time and place. So we're going to take another break and be right back. So as we wrap it up here, I don't really have any good solutions or answers for you. But I was the last piece that I wanted to add here was that, you know, I was thinking about why are there, you know, there's more women now who enter into that risk taking group. Like I told you, Lynn Hill was the only real the woman that was the first one. And she hung with all these guys. And that's her in the trailer that says it was a high testosterone lifestyle. And and. You know, and I've been reading some other stuff about, you know, masculinity and femininity and how it's really a different track. It's a different set of values. It's a different um, set of, of beliefs in terms of how you want to live your life. And and it really is more reflective of this 50, 30, 15. And I think, you know, the real difference is, is that traditional society, at least for women, it didn't allow you to explore because you weren't allowed to be an explorer and you weren't allowed to be a leader and you weren't allowed to be a general. You pretty much could only be part of the 50%. And so I think some of what's happening in the world today is that a lot of those limitations are being lifted. And so you know, the consistency is the 50, 30, 15, but our history has put us out of balance with that in the sense that women could only be part of the 50%. They were, there, there were exceptions, but it wasn't something that was easily done. And there were huge consequences and ramifications. And it took somebody who was extraordinary to really buck the system, especially, you know, way back. But it happened. It wasn't ex- exclusive. It was just very rare. And And in today's world, I think we're trying to a lot of the upset between the male and the female roles is we've lost, you know, our own balance with that 30, you know, 50, 30, 15 idea. And, and, and so, you know, when women start to be confused about who and where they are in a culture, then that makes men confused. And, and and so we're we're just in this really interesting time of things are kind of resettling and reshaking and what's happening is we're so focused on making everybody else wrong based on gender, based on uh, sexual identity, based on male or female, based on religion, based on culture when traditionally this 30 this 50 30 15 idea is reflective regardless of those issues because it's really 
more about how you're wired and how you are Uh, You know, it's the nature nurture, but there's still a pretty significant percentage of that that is just your wiring, how you're built to to like risk or to not like risk. That has less to do with whether you're a boy or a girl, and it has more to do with just who you are. And in today's world, a lot of those limits have been lifted. And so, you know, it's a really interesting thing that's happening right now. And so, you know, I think one of the things I just got really excited about watching that film is it just completely will show you exactly how we got from, uh, you know, the 50s, which was this push for safety and comfort. But even as much as they were pushing for that, because post-World War II, you know, the, the control grid was about getting women at home, getting them out of the jobs, getting them, you know, back into these nuclear families so that there could be, you know, the long-term plan of creating more control. And at the same time, you know, we're like, oh, the CIA started, I mean, you hear a lot of people say the CIA started a counterculture, which isn't true. There's always, I mean, it's true that there may have been some uh, manipulation, but it, What's consistent is you've always got people who are bucking the system because the world wouldn't move forward if you didn't have risk takers. You would never have explored unknown lands if people were afraid that the world was really flat. If you didn't want to risk uh, sailing off the edge of the ocean, (laughs) which would have been really interesting, right? You sail out, it's like, we can't stop ourselves and over the cliff we go. You know, if you didn't have people willing to do that, society as a whole would stagnate. You would not change. You would not evolve. You would not grow. And so, you know, the takeaway that I really want to offer here for you today is to be able to step back enough to say the systems of our world will always reflect who we are and what we believe. But the basics of humanity will always stay the same. We will always be in one of this one of these groups of 50%, 30%, or 15%. We will always struggle with the people who aren't that. We'll always struggle with finding the balance within ourselves. And that the way out is to stop making who you aren't wrong and find a way to integrate it so that we can all continue to evolve in a positive way. And so that isn't something that's going to happen until we learn to do that within ourselves. And and it really, you know, it struck me because I was listening to the older guys who eventually, you know, the body gave out. They couldn't live that high adrenaline, very physical dirtbag existence forever. They couldn't do it forever. And so they ended up starting companies. What was interesting really is how many of them didn't die. You would think, you know, the crazy stuff a lot of them were doing. There was very, of the group that they highlighted, there was out of, from 1955 to the present, there was only, I think, two that actually died throughout this whole process. And so, you know, we're so afraid of being a risk taker because we're going to die. And most of these guys don't. They they transition out or they find alternative ways to feed the beast, to feed the adrenaline junkie part of them, um, because physically it's unmaintainable. But the thing that really struck me, which I can completely relate to, is they all look back and say that was the best time ever. And the reason 
it was the best. It's when it's because for that type of person, not following the rules is when you feel most alive. And we've built a world that says you're not allowed to survive if you don't follow the rules. And it's becoming more and more difficult to not follow the rules and still survive. And that's what I think we're really seeing is this backlash of people who still want real freedom. And if you don't have that group, you won't, you will, you won't be able to survive. And, and so it, it just was really interesting. I thought it was extremely reflective. It gave me a lot to think about. I hope I was effective in terms of communicating that. Um, But anyways, that is our pitch for the day. Again, it's streaming on um, Valley Uprising or Uprising Valley. It's streaming on Netflix. There's a bunch of free stuff on YouTube. And we are off to another super exciting weekend. We're here. Finally, we have broken the storm track. I think the next week the sun's actually going to be out. So um, I am very happy to be freed from the confines of the trailer. As much as I love all this, it's very dependent on me being able to live outside. And so when I can't be outside, it makes things a lot harder. So (laughs) I'm excited. I don't know about you. So we will see you back here on Monday. Again, you can find this at survivalroad.net. I hope that you have a magnificent weekend and as always I would like to say thank you for hearing my heart roar.